Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. I want to kind of give you a little update on, uh, on Ralph in particular. He, um, was, he called the doctor and asked if there's any possibility that he could go to work this next week. And the doctor said, yeah, you can come to the hospital and we'll take another chest x-ray. He still has some pneumonia and I think it's the left lobe of his lung. And he's not progressing very fast. He's making headway, but it's slow. He won't be singing for a while. And so we need to keep him in our prayers because he is older than dirt, and that does make a big difference in your recovery. So uh, keep that in mind and um, pray for Marilyn, his wife, too, because uh, when you get our age, being grumpy is a part of being old. And uh, I, I'm not saying he's a grump. Well, I guess I am saying he's probably grumpy at times. Uh, that's number one. And Blake had surgery this past week and uh, for that uh, fatty tumor that was on his jaw it's benign and it's gone and uh, he's back teaching today among the young people so all is well there's there's others but I'm just going to leave it at those two for the time being both our staff people it's really kind of neat I don't get to do it a lot but to stand at the door and just to see warm bodies coming in and who they are and, and uh, we have we literally have people here from all over the world today and it's kind of interesting you know and uh, but two of the people that are here have uh, uh, how shall I say it an addiction really uh, they're addicted to Ohio State football and it's a serious problem and uh, so we need to pray for them they uh, they used to live here in town. They ran Hall's Waffles, and then they left and went to Mississippi, and they're in the restaurant business there. But uh, Bill and Eleanor Hall not only are really good friends of ours, but they're generous, generous supporters of our church. And I, I'm, I don't do this very often, but I want Bill and Eleanor to stand. They're back there with Alice Kay, and I want you to be sure and welcome them. Get up, Bill. He can't hear very well, but she can. Okay, there they are. Yeah, yeah. 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 You've already had demonstrated the problem. And so, yeah, yeah. In order to go to heaven, he knows he has to at least mention Kentucky. So that's... All right. The text that was read for you has a couple of things that I want you to notice. Israel had come out of captivity under the leadership of Moses. God had selected him to lead them, had done some preparation for him to lead those people. They were, after 430 years in Egypt, they were more Egyptian pagans than anything. But God had chosen them and, and to, to follow Moses. Now, it was the tradition among all of those countries at the time. You never did, <coughs> excuse me, you never did anything serious without your chosen God going in front of you, leading the way. 
God, because that was the only way that they would understand what was going on, he, he said to Moses, I'll lead you. He actually put a, a, um, an angel in front, and then Moses was to walk along with the angel. The only exception to that that I know of was when the Egyptians were chasing them with their chariots. The angel left the front, went to back to protect them. Now, who are these angels? Because sometimes we get a silly concept of angels that comes from uh, Middle Ages where they had all kinds of, they were floating around on clouds and all that kind of stuff. Angels were, are called the hosts of heaven. You remember when Jesus said, was hanging on the cross, he said, you know, you didn't put me here. I'm here because I chose to be. And if I chose, I could call for legions of angels. These legions of angels or hosts of heaven were really the, war, the army of, of God. They're really warriors. That's what, they're, that's what they were for. They were they're the warriors uh, of the kingdom of God. And so they, they had tremendous power, and we'll mention that a little later on. <clears throat> but Moses was to lead the people as God's representative. He was, instead of an idol, he was the one who went, who went before them to lead the people. And if you look at the scripture carefully... It, that term of leading the people is re- repeated time and again. You're to be out front, and your primary, you remember when he was chosen, God gave him a dual mandate. This is what you're to do. Now, other things, okay, but this is your primary responsibility that I'm giving you to do. You are to lead the people out of Egypt into the land that I promised, number one. Number two, you are to demonstrate before my people who I am. They really don't know me. They're more pagan than any, because you remember at the, when Moses was gone for a month or so up getting the Ten Commandments and Aaron was with him, and at, or rather Joshua was with him, Aaron stayed with the people, and Aaron let them get out of control, and they really reverted back to what they were used to in worshiping the idols of Egypt. They took off their clothes, they were naked, they were just crazy, and they were drunk. Uh, all of that kind of goes hand in hand. He actually said, when Moses came down to Aaron, he actually said to him, you've let these people get out of control, and he held Aaron responsible for it. But to keep, in, keep this one thing in mind, the mandate that Moses had received as the leader of the children of Israel. It was clearly stated, and in the text that was read for you, there was two things here that I want you to remember. Number one, well, there's three, really. One of the things is that in one other instance at a place called Rephidim, they had run out of water, the people belly ached again, and so... Moses actually at that time legitimately struck the rock and they received water. Now this would not make a lot of sense to you city folks, but just trust me, we'll get to this in a minute. So when he comes now to Kadesh Barnea or Kadesh 
is on the south side of, of where they would enter the promised land, they had the same problem. It's dry there. It's the, it's the, the beginning of the desert there in the south part of Israel that Egypt had for a while. But anyway, in this particular instance, he said, God said, Moses, you and Aaron, gather Israel together. This is all their leader. You, he call, it's called the assembly in the NIV. You, you bring them all together. And when they're all together here, you, are, you and Aaron are to speak to the rock, and it'll produce water. Aaron, whether it was out of just a fit of anger, because he was mad, you could tell, he, when he called the people names, and he did in the reading, rebels, and it's even worse. You, you people who are just a pain in the neck is what he was telling them, and they were. He said, uh, but he, and then he, he took the rod and he struck that rock again twice, and water flushed as it had before. But he had failed his mandate. His mandate was this. You speak to the rock. Why? So the people will learn to honor the word of God. When God speaks, God speaks. It is he who is talking. And since he is the God who's going before you and you represent him to these people, if you misrepresent him, you will be held accountable. That's what he was really telling them. What he's really saying is, look, there are people watching. And when they're watching, when all the people are assembled and they're watching you who represent me, it gives them the idea of who I am because they don't know me. Now, that's not the first time that happened. If you go back to, into the 32nd chapter of the book of Exodus when the representative there, you remember the golden calf thing we talked about. It was there that the people rebelled. And the people's responsibility, Israel's responsibility, was this. Moses' responsibility was to show them who God was. And then once they learned who God was, it was their responsibility to show the surrounding nations who God is. Now, that's, it's, it's that simple. Keep that in mind, because if you don't, you'll, you're going to miss the whole thing I'm talking about. Number one, Moses' responsibility is to represent God to the people. The people's responsibility and their mandate was to show God who God is to the surrounding nations, all of whom worshipped idols. Now, then after, after Israel had been taken out by miraculous ways from slavery across the Sea of Reeds into the Mount Sinai, and they were gathered there, God got really ticked off with them because they reverted back to the same paganism that they had been worshiping for who knows how long in Egypt. And so here in the 25th verse, listen to this. When Moses came down off of the hill, the big old hill called Mount Horeb, Moses saw that the people, I'm reading verse 25 of chapter 32, book of Exodus, Moses saw that the people were running wild. And that's a, that's a mild thing to say. 
and that Aaron had let them get out of control, and now listen to this, and become a laughing stock to their enemies. Israel failed in their responsibility to show the surrounding nations who God was, and they turned God into laughing stock. That, the penalty for that was, they're all, none of them are going to get to enter the promised land. They're, all of them over a certain age are going to die and be buried in the desert. Now, here's the problem. Moses comes along sometime later and fails in his mandate. Do you know God is so consistent and so predictable? He says in his justice. And by the way, let me say this, and it may rub a few people raw, but that's all right. You can get some uh, salve and put on it. Our culture uses a lot of terminology that's really Marxist-oriented. And one of those terms is social justice. Social justice sounds good, but it's not biblical justice. I'm for biblical justice, not social justice. And, and you need to get this clear in your mind. Uh, it's being promoted all over our country, in our schools and everywhere else, and it's dangerous. And you need to be aware that Marxism is a lot deeply rooted, even in some of our churches, then you may be aware. Now, I've got that out of my, I feel better, I'll preach better now. And, but, it, but it needs to be said. So, uh, a couple of things that if I've got time, let me see where I'm going here. Yeah, I do. Let me, let me talk to you a little bit about getting water out of a rock. Actually, I've had experience with that, personal experience with that. I was probably 12 or 13 years old. We'd had about six weeks or more on the farm there where I lived on Possum Ridge down in Kentucky. And we, on, on the west side, we had a spring that didn't go dry. On the east side of the farm, we had a spring that float over some, a ledge, and then below that we dug out a pond there for the water where the livestock could drink. That particular spring, when the water table went down, went underneath of that ledge. And where it went from there, I don't know. But, but, but it didn't go into the pond, and so the cows couldn't, get, couldn't graze on the east side of the farm. So my dad goes up to T.T. Hill and Son at the store there and buys some dynamite. He'd never used dynamite. Well, one, but I won't get into that. He used it going fishing once, and that's not something we need to talk about just yet. But anyhow, and so he went down to a neighbor, an old German fellow by the name of Mr. Willie Lip, who said he knew about that. So he, we took this rod and punched and punched and punched and punched down under that ledge. And then he put dynamite, pushed some sticks of dynamite down there with a pretty long fuse on it, tamped it back in. And then Mr. Lip told us, you go up the hill here, because that was in a creek, you go up the hill here about 150 foot and you ought to be fine. Well, Mr. Willie Lip didn't know as much about dynamite as he thought he did. 
And when that thing finally went off, shrapnel started going every direction. That ledge was blown apart, and water and 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 hunks of of uh, of rock started heading in our direction. You'd be you'd be surprised how quickly you can move up a pretty steep hill when you're being hit with that. And but the good thing was, that, but the water came. But we had plenty of water then, and uh, but it was a memorable experience. I can promise you that. So just let you know. I, I don't know why you, I guess you just needed to know that. So I wanted to tell you. Now, there's a, there's a lot of things that we can gather from this particular passage that talks about what God expects of his leaders and how he holds them accountable. In recent years in our churches across the country, the number of moral failures that we have seen has been, uh, well, it has made God's kingdom laughable in the eyes of the liberal media and the, and the bad guys. It's a real serious problem, and we need to talk about it without being too arrogant. So uh, I, I want us to look at this man, Moses. If you've got, your, uh, if you've got a, a copy of the outline, look at number three. This is his resume. I don't know of anybody who has a better resume than Moses had. This, here's what the scripture says about him in, in six different places that I looked up. The first one was in, in the 12th chapter of the book of Numbers when he was selected. He was referred to by God as a humble man. And then it goes in, in the rest of that verse and said, in fact, he was the most humble man alive. Now, humility is not some wimpy guy who goes around, da, da, da. humility is an individual who doesn't have an agenda that he will impose upon someone else. And so then he was in a position to receive God's agenda. That's why God chose him. So he was a humble man. Joshua, who had been up on Mount Sinai with him and then was the one who led Israel into the promised land, actually, and spent more time, he was, he was Moses' understudy. He was with him all the time. Joshua referred to him as a servant of God. And this word servant in the Greek language is, 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 is the word doulos, which means he is a bond servant. He is uh, actually a slave a volunteer to be a slave to the will and the leadership of God. The chronicle who wrote about the kings and the queens and the history of Israel in the 23rd chapter, verse 14, referred to Moses as, and I really like this, as a man of God. I was actually called that once, and, it was, and, and it's another one of those things that you don't ever forget. I've never considered myself to be especially pious or, or whatever, because uh, I know myself really well, and, uh, and what I know about me I ain't telling, and uh, I have good reason for that too. But one of our guys here sang in the choir, really a good friend, old, he was still in the military, had a heart problem at the hospital, and I went over to see him, and and he came out of surgery, and I held his hand, and because he's about a big old horse, squeezed me to, 
of my hand and we were walking down to intensive care and he looked at me and he said I'm scared of dying and it just gives me comfort to know that I'm being led to uh, my room by a man of God I always consider that to be the highest compliment that anybody could receive Moses and David referred to Moses in the 106th Psalm this way he said he was he is the chosen one of God that's that's a tremendous compliment as well now the beauty of that is that you and I in the New Testament are referred to as God's chosen people so you know you you kind of get in on that one now the Hebrew writer in the New Testament, who was a Jewish, obviously himself, in the third chapter, verse 2, referred to Moses as a faithful man. The New Testament says concerning us, the ultimate goal for us is to be able to face death as be, and having been found faithful. That's a term that's used. One of the things that you probably, for some reason or other, the book of Jude just one chapter right before Revelation is seldom read but it contains an interesting little tidbit there it actually says that when Moses died and Moses died on Mount Nebo which is a mount of just a big hill really right before you come to the Jordan River straight kind of straight across from Jericho and this and no one knows where his body was buried because there was the temptation of using his body and, and as, a, as an idol, really, worshiping that old dead carcass. Interesting thing about because he never got to enter the promised land, as you know. He had to, because he, he, he failed God's mandate, so he didn't get to go in. Israel, the adults of Israel didn't get to and They all had the same failure. They didn't get to enter across the Jordan into the land of promise. But the, the book of Jude says that Actually, there was a struggle between Satan and one of the archangels over what to do with Moses' body. Actually, Satan lost that one, and the body was taken and buried somewhere on Mount Nebo, and to this day we haven't the foggiest idea, because the great temptation Israel had was to come up with, a, with some way to have an idol. They were just hung up on that. But Moses was a, I mean, with that kind of a resume, with a, mag, with a big moral failure, he still had to suffer. Now, you and I need to understand something. Moses missed the mark on his essential assignment. You may think with a resume like his, and with all that he went through, the struggles and so on that he went through, wasn't it kind of unkind of God? Because you see, our image that the liberal folks put out of God is that he's just kind of a wimpy old grandpa who gives everybody what they want, and he's a God of love, and da, 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 so he just gives everybody everything they want. The reason I mentioned social justice is because I wanted to bring up God is a just God. And, it, and of necessity, he has to bring disobedience to judgment. And he does that faithfully. And uh, we live in an era when, when people die. You could be the orneriest old 
bird that never had made any in, uh, maybe in a church building sometime for somebody's funeral but you know they lay him out here and some of our preachers get up and you would think that the guy was an absolute saint i read about this one woman who got up out of her seat when the preacher was telling what a wonderful guy he was and she went up and looked in the casket to make sure that was her husband we have a tendency to do that and 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 it is a misrepresentative of who god really is God is a just God. He actually punishes those whom he loves. And he says any good, any good father does. The scripture says that. But in spite of the fact that Moses had this magnificent resume, the, the scripture says to whom much is given, much is required. He had been given the favor of total access to God. And he failed in his mandate. The scripture says in the New Testament that in the sixth chapter of the book of Galatians, it, he says, you know, God isn't mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he reap. Now understand, that's in the flesh. That's in the flesh. You sow in the flesh, you reap in the flesh. We sin in the flesh. And the gravity of our sins in the Old Testament says... In the flesh, it is so serious when we sin that the penalty is actually passed on to your sons, your grandsons, and your great-grandsons. That penalty goes on down. We need to understand that Sin is actually best understood as rebellion. It's rebellion against God. It's I'm going to do. What did Moses do when he got to that rock? He did out of anger what he wanted to do. And God, before all of Israel, God was made laughingstock. And there was a serious penalty that associated that. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. And that's what happened here. He, he died without, his, his body died without entering the promised land. So what I'm trying to tell you is, is I think I can justify it scripturally if I had the time. And that's that God expects more out of the leadership in the church than we have uh, anticipated. There's four of us old guys that get together about every six weeks for an upcoming podcast. You guys ought to live, ought to at least listen to it when it finally comes out, if for no other reason than to get a laugh. But because some of it gets kind of humorous at times. One of them is a retired president of a Christian college, Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, Ken Eidelman. Ken was converted and, and made his commitment to become a preacher when I was preaching a, at a Christian service camp years ago. Ken is 76 now, give you an idea. The other one is, another one is Bob Russell, who, uh, one of my really good friends and who was the pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, where they preached to about 30,000 people every weekend. 
He has tele had a television. He's retired now. The reason he retired is he just couldn't take the belly aching of God's people anymore. Literally, that's why he quit. I, I told him he wasn't as tough as I am. The other one is a retired preacher from a uh, Christ Church of the Valley in Phoenix, Arizona. 25,000 people every weekend. They have more people get lost trying to find their church than shows up here. So I don't. I think the only reason I'm included in the group is that Matthew is the overseer of the thing. And so he said, but anyhow, in that particular group of guys, and we've talked honestly, there were temptations for sure. But there never was a sexual misconduct in their entire life. And uh, what I'm saying is we desperately need to set that as a standard for all of our leaders. Now you can't, you can't change what you've already done. It can be forgiven, but there's still penalties to pay. Even for forgiven sin, there's still penalties to pay because that's what the Bible teaches. If you look carefully at that passage of Scripture in the sixth chapter of the book of Galatians, and remember this, our commitment is what is biblical, not what is publicly accepted. Here's what it says. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Why? Because you better watch out. You may be next. Then it goes on to say this. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, help each other with these temptations that come our way. Confess your faults one to another and pray for each other, James says, so that you can overcome. What is the law of Christ? It's that we love each other. It's very clear that we love each other. So he goes on and say, anyone who receives, well, go down to verse 7 again to repeat it. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap eternal life. And it ain't easy. That's why the next verse says, and don't be weary in well-doing in trying to do the best. I think, we, I think we should set as our standards nothing less than moral integrity and spiritual and biblical truth as the goals for the leadership of our people. And we should never back off of that. I was in a meeting last December with the president of the largest theological seminary probably in the world. Believe it or not, it's in Kentucky. Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville. Uh, Brother Al Moeller is the president. And we were in a discussion, and Brother Moeller said, you know what? All institutions have a tendency to gravitate toward the left, even the churches. When he took over Southern Baptist Seminary, it was down to maybe 300 people. 
he fired all but one of their Bible teachers because they had moved too far to the left. He said, you know, I was the most hated man in Louisville for a while. What I didn't ask him, and I should have, didn't cross my mind, wasn't quick enough. I should have asked, and I'm going to one of these days, Brother Moeller, how do we keep that from happening? Most of the denominations today, I, I pray for our Methodist friends because the Methodist church by, by January 1 must have, each congregation must have made up their mind, will we accept homosexual clergy or not? If they say we will not, then they, if they have enough money, they can buy their independence from the Methodist church. They're not the only ones. The Episcopal church has been doing that for years because the Methodists were a break-off from the Episcopal church. The founders of the Methodist church were godly men, brothers in particular, who broke off and started. And on the frontier, the Methodists were the most successful. And I think uh, my mother used to say concerning a little church up little Methodist church up the road from where we lived. She called them Shouting Methodist. And she said they were probably the most godly people she ever knew. And that's all changing. See, it's moved. That what Brother Moeller was saying. It has gravitated to the left. How do we stop that? I think periodically we have to look at why we're here and discuss it and preach about it and pray about it and if necessary call a gathering of our people and get on our knees and re-pledge that we're going to serve the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we're going to keep the Bible as the center of all of our preaching and teaching and God help us if we do anything other than that. So, uh, you know, I, I look at, at what's going on and I just really worry about it some. What we need to be aware of is our mandate, our church, all Christian churches on the face of the earth have this mandate. You are to show the rest of the world who God is. That's our primary reason for being here. Oh, you say, no, it's to get to heaven. Ah, oh, it isn't. Our primary responsibility in this life, in our flesh, is to show our neighbors, everyone we know, all around us, who God is. And introduce them to Jesus. He's God in the flesh. That's our primary responsibility. And to fail at that carries with it serious penalties. To fail at that. Moses didn't get, well, I'll take that back. Moses finally made it. Not in the flesh. But he did get there. His old body is buried up on Mount Nebo. But if you go, if you look carefully in the New Testament, in the 17th chapter of the book of Matthew, at a thing called the Mount of Transfiguration. And we don't know f for sure which mountain it is. There's, there's two of them that are possibilities. One is there just real close to the Sea of Galilee. The other is up on the Syrian border called Mount Hermon. I think Mount Hermon is it simply because on top of Mount Hermon is snow year-round. And you remember the scripture said that, that uh, the, the light of God, the, the Shekinah, was so bright there that it would blind you. And so you have, but he took the inner circle up there with him 
And, and there appeared Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. Peter, who opens his big mouth and puts both feet in it more often than not, said, why don't we build a tent, a tabernacle to each one of you? And, and a, a cloud came down and, and Moses and Aaron and uh, Moses and uh, Elijah were gone and only Jesus was left. So he made it, but in the spirit and not in the flesh. And you need to understand that the sins of the flesh can, will be paid for here and now and for generations to come. And, and we need to take it so seriously. And that's why I keep mentioning to, to you and to myself, how many godly people do you know? I'm talking about the people who can say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live, is Christ. Now we're not talking about the physical appearance of Christ. What we're talking about are the character qualities of Jesus. They're called in the scripture the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, so on and so forth, to which there is no law. Those are the, and, and, that, and they are produced by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in a life of a born-again believer. Whose primary, his primary job is to produce in you and me the character qualities of Jesus. Then those character qualities of Jesus are what we show to everybody around us. And they then have a clear picture of who God is. That's our mandate. I believe that the mandate of men who hold a position like I do is this, show your people who Jesus is by both your attitude and your behavior. Both are tremendously important. Some people who live a very narrow life can't get along with anybody. They're just nasty old crocs that you don't want to be around. I'm talking about both attitude and behavior. God help us if we fail in our mandate because the results have never been good. People are watching you. You don't realize how many people are watching you simply because you claim to be a Christian. I remember years ago when Uncle Floyd, we, he retired as a Methodist and his stipend from the Methodist church was $12 a month, so we hired him here so he wouldn't starve to death. And, and Uncle Floyd uh, and, and Benny Baumgartner was here. and, and it, Anyway, the whole staff went down to Bob Evans to lunch, to eat lunch. And we were, uh, finally had our lunch brought to us and, and Benny was designated to say, the prayer to offer our thanks for the food and he prayed for a little bit because we when you're hungry you pray short and uncle floyd when he got ready to say amen uncle floyd said keep praying benny people are watching (laughs) he was trying to be funny but what he was saying was really true how we behave our did you know alice k and i have made friends with several of the the girls and a couple of guys that work there at Bob Evans. And at a time, this one girl, come. she wasn't busy. She just came over and sat down with us. She said, you know, 
the people we, that we hate to see coming worse than anybody else? I said, no, huh? who are you talking about? I thought she was talking about the homeless. I didn't know what she was She said, on Sunday, Christian women are the tightest people on the face of the earth. Now, she just tell me the truth. She says, if they have a few coins, they'll leave it for you. Because I'll be honest with you, Alice Kay and I always give them 20%. And uh, because they have to eat and we can afford it, so we do it. I've gotten to the place now in listening to them where I believe a part of our Christian testimony is directly related to how we handle situations like that because people are watching. They're really watching. I heard a story about people. Well, let's see where I am here now. I'm still good. The other day, I went for another 15 minutes, and my wife called me to, because I can't see very good without my glasses looking at my watch, but it's a Christian watch, so it slows down. <laughs> anyway, we were... We, I, read, I heard this story years ago, and I'm not real certain I can tell it just exactly right, but I always thought it was cute about people watching this guy was a thief, and, and he was, he'd been watching the, uh, a, a wealthy family who had an apartment in a high-rent district in New York City. He watched when they came and went and came and they went, how they dressed, and, and he knew it was really a good hit if he could get in and, and rob them. So finally, when they were gone, he entered the house and, and went in toward the bedroom where he knew that they, they had a safe. And on the way in, in the bedroom, there was a poly parrot. And, and sitting over here in the corner was a wire monitor dog. And the parrot, when she, he, he said when he entered the room, the parrot just kept saying, Jesus is watching you. Jesus is watching you. And he said, I thought they had some trained religious parrot. And he said, I finally got the safe open and started taking the stuff out. And the parrot said to the dog, sick him, Jesus. <laughs> well, the point simply is this. We're being watched. And what they see in us can affect their salvation. One of the people who translated scripture into modern-day English, Moffat, a few years ago, referred to his, the letters of Paul. He said, they're, and, and in it he referred to us as being living letters read of men. That's who we are. Whether we want to admit it and accept it or not, people are watching us and their very salvation and what they think of Christ is totally dependent upon what they see in the way we treat each other and how faithful we are to our God and can they see the character qualities of Jesus in us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for loving us and being patient with us. And I'm just sorry that I hadn't got my arms around this message a long time ago. I pray that you will help us as we really try 
and make a commitment to growing in Christ, to maturing in our faith, and even setting as a goal for ourselves that our bodies might become living letters. And when people read those letters, they see Jesus. We know we've got a long way to go, Father. But please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to, God, to, to develop into godly people who reflect who you are to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, to such an extent that they want to know me, they want to know who you are too. We ask for your blessing on this day for each of these folks in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.